I've got a confession to make. I love Christmas songs. I love the sacred Christmas songs. I love the secular Christmas songs. I love them all. I love Jingle Bells, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I love every one of them. But one of my favorite is a song that was made popular by Andy Williams back in the 60s. And I believe this song kind of gives most of us the idea of what we think about when we think about Christmas. The name of the song is, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. And, and some of the words go like this. It's the most wonderful time of the year with the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you, be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. The second verse is this. It's the hap happiest season of all. With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call. It's the hap happiest season of all. And then after a little while it says this. There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But the problem is for some of us. Christmas isn't the most wonderful time of the year. You see, for some of us, Christmas is a time to remember. A time to remember those we have lost. And, and, and those memories that we have of them bring us hurt and bring us pain and bring us grief. This morning, we're, we're looking at the third of those ghosts of Christmas past. And the ghost that we're going to look at this morning is unresolved grief. And it seems like the holidays, especially Christmas, are difficult for those of us who, who struggle with grief. Perhaps the reason is because we have all of these fun memories of those who have passed on before us. And, and now those fun memories are only reminders Reminders that our, our loved one is no longer with us. But what I want you to know this morning is this. We don't have to be a prisoner of unresolved grief. And so if you have your Bible with you, I want you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now if you don't have your Bible, don't worry. We have the words on the screen. But I want to encourage you to bring your Bible because the Bible is God's Word. And, and as we come together on Sunday morning... We're always going to be studying God's Word, and we're wanting to discover what God has to say about something. Now, let me give you a little bit of background, if I can. Paul had planted a church in the city of Thessalonica during his second missionary journey, but it was a church that was birthed in the midst of opposition. From the very beginning, there were those who opposed Paul and opposed the message of the gospel. And so these Jews who opposed this message started a riot. They started this riot in hopes of arresting Paul and ultimately killing Paul. But as we read this story in Acts chapter 17, we discover that in the middle of the night, under the cloak of darkness, Paul escaped and went to the city of Berea. But this church that he planted there continued to grow in their faith. But there was one area... That this church struggled in. You see as Paul had told them about the faith. One of the things he said is that this Jesus. Who died on a cross. Whom God raised from the dead. Was coming back. And Paul told them that, that Jesus was coming back 
soon. And when Jesus came back, he was going to make everything right. And so these believers in Thessalonica were looking forward to Jesus' return, just like you and I should look forward to Jesus' return. And these believers thought that Jesus could return at any day, just like you and I should think and should believe that Jesus could return at any day. But after a while, this became a problem because they assumed that any day meant soon. And they believed that soon meant very soon. And so as days passed, and as weeks passed, and as months passed, and as those months turned into several years, they became concerned. And they became confused. Because they believed that Jesus was going to go up to heaven, he was going to prepare a couple of things up in heaven. He was going to get his angels together and then he was going to come back and he was going to make things right. But it wasn't happening as soon as they expected and, and they got concerned, they got worried. It's kind of like us men. You, you know, we've, we've got this important place to be during the Christmas holidays. And we get ready, and we're ready, and we're looking at our watch because we know that we have somewhere to be, and we have a time to be there. And as we go into the bathroom, we see our wife. And she's standing there in front of the mirror, and she's still getting ready. And we go, honey, the time. We've got to be there in a few minutes. And our wife says, don't worry, I'll be ready in a minute. And so us men... We take that just like they said it. We believe they're going to be ready in a minute. And so we go out to our car. We crank it up. We're a good husband. We want, you know, the car to be warm for them. We want the seat warmer on. If we've got a seat warmer and we're sitting there, we're ready. My wife's going to be here in a minute. And a minute passes and she's not there. Five minutes pass and she's not there. Ten minutes passed and all of a sudden we're concerned that someone broke into our house, kidnapped her while we're sitting in the car. And so we go back into the house and it looks like, from our perspective, that time has stood still. She's still in the same place doing the same thing that she was ten minutes ago. And we're going, I don't understand a minute means a minute. And so these believers in Thessalonica, they believed that Jesus was coming back any minute. And when he hadn't come back, they, they got confused. They got worried. And the reason is because during this time, some of their mothers and fathers had died. During this time, some of their husbands, some of their wives had died. During this time... Some of their children had died. And they were looking forward to Jesus coming back because when he came back, he was going to put to death death and everything was going to be made right. But, but now people they love had died. And they were wondering, what's going to happen to them? I mean, I know that if, if we're alive when Jesus comes back, we're going to be with them forever forever. 
But what about my mom? What about my dad? What about my wife? What about my husband? What about my child? What about these people I love who have already died? What's going to happen to them? Are they going to be able to be a part of the kingdom of God? And they were afraid that somehow, some way, these people who had already died were going to miss out on this great thing that God was going to do. And so Paul wrote these six short verses to help them understand better what happens when a person dies and what happens when Jesus comes back. Now, if this doesn't apply to you because you haven't lost someone, I can only say to you this morning, praise God, but you still need to listen because one day, Probably someday soon, you are going to lose somebody. And if you don't lose somebody, then what you're going to discover is that someone you love has lost you. And so I want you to listen to what God's Word says, beginning in chapter 4, verse 13. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who, who have died. So that you will not grieve like those who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their grave. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be called up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Now notice that last phrase, encourage each other with these words. That's important because Paul is reminding us that it is God's word that is the source of truth in our life. You see, I've discovered that each and every one of us will determine our beliefs from several different sources. Some of us will determine our belief from ourselves. Others of of us will determine our belief from our culture. Others will determine our belief from our traditions. And, and some of us will determine our beliefs from our God. Now, and if you determine your belief from yourself, then what you were saying is you believe that you are God. You believe that your intellect, your knowledge, your understanding is king. Your knowledge trumps everything else. And may I say to you in humility that that is the height of arrogance if you think that you know everything you don't know anything others of us take our beliefs from our culture but what you need to understand if you take your beliefs from your culture is this culture is always changing and truth doesn't change truth is timeless and so if you are taking your beliefs from culture, then you are going to have to be changing your beliefs over and over again. Some of us, we take our beliefs from our traditions, how we were raised. But here's what I know. As I look back over my tradition, my religious tradition, 
I have to acknowledge that there are areas in which my religious tradition was wrong. My religious tradition made sinful choices, made sinful errors. We do not allow our traditions to trump anything else. You see, our God is to determine our beliefs. And when we do that, I'm here to tell you, it gives us a peace that passes everything else. You may still have questions. There may still be things that you do not understand. But when you sit back and you say, I believe what God says, even when I don't understand it, it gives you a peace to press on in life. Now, as Paul addresses this, this subject of death and how we are to handle death and, and how grief fits into this, he gives us two truths that I want you to learn this morning. First of all is this, grief is common. It's something we all face. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, when you experience loss, you experience grief. Grief is common to everyone. And the greater the loss, the greater the grief. That's why Paul doesn't say, don't grieve. That would be foolish. We all grieve when we experience loss. Now, and here's how the dictionary defines grief. Grief is deep sorrow, especially that caused by someone's death. So it's deep sorrow, especially caused by someone's death. But the truth is, grief can be caused by a whole lot of things. It can be caused by the loss of a job, the loss of our health, the loss of a relationship, even the loss of a pet. There are all kinds of things that can cause us to experience grief. But I think that you would all agree with me that nothing, nothing else comes close to the grief we feel when we lose someone we love. And grief is common to everyone. The people who live in million-dollar homes and the people who are homeless all experience grief. The people who have big families and the people that have no families experience grief. Grief is common to all. Throughout the Bible, we discover that even those who place their hope in God experience grief. Abraham grieved when his wife Sarah died. Jacob grieved when he thought his son Joseph had died. David grieved when his infant son had died. Jesus grieved when he was at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. But this is what Jesus said about grief. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who grieve because they will be comforted. What Jesus is saying is this, when we suppress our grief, when we deny our grief, we are circumventing God's healing process because God uses grief to heal us. You see, grief is a natural response to loss, especially death. There are people who tell us that, that we need to get over our grief, but you need to understand that you never get over grief. You learn how to live with your grief. You learn how to cope with your grief. You learn how to handle your grief, but you never get over grief. I didn't understand that until about a year and a half ago. To be honest with you, I had never experienced grief, true grief. Both my parents were still alive. My wife is alive. 
All four of our children were alive, our grandchildren were alive, and I had never experienced grief. Then all of a sudden, our middle son suddenly passed away the day before our youngest son was getting married. And everything I knew hypothetically, I now knew experientially. And not a week goes by that I don't grieve Josh's passing. When I see pictures of him, I am reminded. When I eat certain foods, I am reminded. When I see certain shows on TV or I go to certain movies, I am reminded. When I go to certain places, I am reminded and I grieve. Sometimes it hits me when I'm all alone and other times it hits me when I am in a crowd. And when it hits, a variety of emotions flood my being. But it's not just me. It's it's my wife. It's my kids. I mean, there are times when I can call Sherry on the phone or I can walk in the house and I can know she has been grieving. There are times when when I can call my children on the phone and as we talk, I know that they have been grieving. We grieve in different ways. We grieve at different times. But grief is common to everyone. But have you ever wondered why? I mean, have you ever really wondered why we grieve when someone dies? I mean, if like so many say, death is natural, if it's part of the natural process, then why do we grieve? I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Death is not natural. Did you hear me? Death is not natural. The only way that you can believe that is to subscribe to a humanist secular view of the universe. If you believe that we are here by accident, if you believe that we are here by chance, if you believe that a human being is nothing more than a bunch of cells and DNA, then yes, death is natural. It's the natural course of things. But... If you subscribe to a biblical worldview, if you believe that there is a God who made all things, if you believe that God created us in His image, in His likeness, and He loves us, and He created us to live with Him forever, then death is the most unnatural thing in the universe. You see, if we were created to live forever, death isn't natural. You need to understand that that death was never intended to be the outcome of human beings. We weren't created to die. We were created to live forever. But because of our rejection of God, because of our rebellion against God, who is the source of life, we now die. That isn't natural. That was never the way that that God intended it to be. You see, death shows us that our world is broken. Death reminds us that all is not well on planet Earth. And the reason that we grieve, even those of us who aren't Christians, is because deep 
down inside, we realize this isn't right. This isn't the way it is supposed to be. That's why Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said God has set eternity in the hearts of all men. In other words, there's something deep down within us that causes us to know that this is not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to live forever. That's why Jesus wept when he was at the tomb of Lazarus, even though he was about to bring him back to life. You see, as Jesus was standing there, he saw that this world is broken. It's infected by sin, and death is wreaking havoc on humanity. And so understand, it's okay to grieve. The truth of the matter is, grief, can be one of the most spiritual things we ever do. Because when we grieve, we are acknowledging that things aren't the way God intended them to be. So grief is common. So when you experience loss, when someone you love dies, don't think that it is spiritual to not grieve. Grieving is normal. Grieving is natural. God created us so that we could grieve. And how could we not grieve when we know this is not the way God intended it? Grieving is common. But praise God, it doesn't stop here. This passage also teaches us that grief doesn't have to be crippling. Paul says don't grieve like those who have no hope. You see, though we grieve, we don't have hopeless grief. Our grief is painful. Our grief is difficult. But in the midst of our grief, we can have joy. In the midst of our sorrow, we can have hope. You see, if death is the end... If death is our, our final goodbye, it's hard for death not to be crippling. If we're just cells that live and die and then decay, the only answer is to try to get by and, and then die. But Paul says that's not how it is for those of us who know Jesus. Listen again to, to what he says beginning in verse 14. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their grave. Then together with him, we who are still alive and remain on this earth will be called up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. You see, because of Christ and because of Christmas, we have hope. Because Jesus came to this earth. Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Because he defeated sin and death by being raised back to life. Those of us who trust him will live with him forever. And Paul is emphatic here. 
He, he makes the point by saying, I'm not giving you this promise based upon my authority. He says here, this comes directly from the Lord. The Lord Jesus himself is the one who has said this. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. In this passage, Paul is talking about, about these sinful, dying, decaying bodies that we have. And he tells us these bodies that we presently live in cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says at the resurrection, this resurrection that he's talking about here in 1 Thessalonians, he says that that resurrection, God is going to give us new immortal bodies that will never die. And then he says this, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? For the sting, or sin, for sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus started a work at the manger when he was born. He continued that work at the cross when he died and at the empty tomb when he defeated sin and death. But the Bible says that he is going to complete that work when he returns. At that time, when he comes back, everything will be made new and death will be a thing of the past. And so you see, you and I that have our hope in Jesus, we do not have to grieve like those who have no hope because our hope is in Jesus from start to finish. He gives us victory over sin and he gives us victory over death. And so even though we grieve, our grief is different. It's bathed in hope. So what about you? Do you have hope? I love what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. He makes it clear that Jesus gives us victory over sin. And he gives us victory over death. And to be honest with you, those are really the only two things we need help with. We need help with sin because sin is a chain that binds us. And on our own, we can never be set free from it. But through what Jesus did on the cross, we can not only be forgiven from our sins, we can experience victory from our sins. Jesus gives us victory over sin. Jesus also gives us victory over death. What that means is as we face our own death one day, we don't have to face it like those who have no hope. And as we sit by the bed, those we love who are either dying or have died, we don't have to face it like those who have no hope. Because we believe that the same Jesus that died and rose from the grave is the Jesus that's coming to deliver us, to rescue us, and to set everything back right. 
I told you about some of my favorite secular Christmas songs. One of my favorite spiritual Christmas songs is Hark the Herald Angel Sing. Not Hark Herald the Angel Sings, but Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And there's a phrase in that song that means more to me today after I've experienced loss than it ever did before. The phrase goes like this. He was born that man no more may die. You see, Jesus was born on Christmas Day so that you and I no longer have to die. And there's coming a day when death will be ultimately defeated and everything will be made new. So where are you? You see, each and every one of us in this room, we need to be delivered from two things, sin and death. There are some of us in this room who probably haven't ever been delivered from sin. We're still controlled by sin under the bondage of sin. And here's what I know. To be saved is to be set free from sin. To want to be saved is to want to be set free from sin. If I want sin to control me, I don't want to be saved. I'm not saved from, from hell. I'm saved from sin. And heaven is a byproduct of being free from sin. And if you're here and, and you're caught up in the bondage of sin, you're controlled by sin, I'm here to tell you Jesus died so that you can be set free. And so I want to encourage you to give your life to him today. But there's others of you here this morning who are under the bondage of the fear of death. You don't have to be. Just as Jesus died to defeat sin, he rose again to defeat death. And we don't have to face death with fear and doubt. We can face it victoriously because of Jesus. That doesn't mean we won't grieve. We will. But we grieve like those who have hope. Our grief is totally different. So what is it that you need? Victory over sin or victory over the fear of death? I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never trusted him to forgive your sins, you've, you've never allowed him to take control of your life, then I want to encourage you this morning to humble yourself before him. Give him your life and let him change you from the inside out. You do this by humbling, humbling yourself before God and pray in a prayer like this. You can pray it right now. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me for all my sins. I've rebelled against you. I've disobeyed you. I've lived life my way. I don't want to anymore, Jesus. I believe you love me. You came to this earth. You died on a cross. You rose from the grave. So I could be forgiven and set free. Today I'm trusting you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Take control. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer and answering me.